Happy New Year, everyone. We begin season three of the Lighting Your Way podcast with a subject that is as serious as it is timely. Even before the COVID pandemic, there have been concerns for years about looming supply and demand imbalances in the nursing workforce. That shortage is no longer looming. It is here now, and it is a very real crisis. With the shortage of hospital nurses, what results during the different variant surges are increasing nurse-to-patient ratios, longer waiting times in emergency rooms, and previously non-clinical nurses being asked or mandated to take clinical assignments. It is a very scary time in healthcare, particularly acute care. Some have likened the current environment to be more like a war zone. As one of our guests say, nurses are not expendable. Deepening that crisis are hospitals being overwhelmed with typically non-vaccinated patients who are requiring critical care, and that care is made even more difficult because healthcare workers themselves are getting sick and needing to call out. In New York, for instance, at the height of the Omicron surge, 4,000 employees called out sick within one large health system. In Philadelphia, at another large system, that number was close to 1,500. In Seattle, some nurse-to-patient ratios are as high as eight patients to one nurse. No matter how you look at it, it is unsafe care. And why, they ask, is no one doing anything about it? On today's podcast, we speak with two active full-time hospital nurses about what is happening in their hospitals during the recent Omicron surge. Unfortunately, because both women fear being punished by their hospital administration for speaking up, we have decided to protect their real identities by calling one of them Florence Nightingale, the mother of modern nursing, and the other we'll call Clara Barton, the nurse who founded the American Red Cross. Despite hearing the obvious passion that they both have for being a nurse, it is also hard not to hear their pain, frustration, and grief as they share their experiences. Let's get started. First of all, I want to thank you both for agreeing to be my guest on today's podcast and for finding the time, as I do know that your day jobs are a little bit crazy these days. I'd like to start our conversation by first asking you, as I have done with other guests, why did you become a nurse? Tell us a little bit about your career journey. Florence, I'm going to start with you. Okay, thanks, Betty. Um, as far back as I can remember, I knew I wanted to go into healthcare. My family is full of teachers and nurses. From the very beginning, I wanted to work in the ICU, and that is just what I did. I started off in a neurosurgery ICU, and from there worked for the next eight years in trauma, burn, vascular, surgical, <clears throat> surgical ICUs, and loved every minute of it. I gradually took ICU float jobs and then was asked to be a nursing supervisor. I ended up as a bed management coordinator. Hmm. The hours are great and with my young family, they're flexible. Recently, I got my MSN through the hospital I worked for, which was a, really a bonus. No loans. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you don't often hear about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Clara, how about you? How do, what, tell me a little bit about your journey. So um, I've been a nurse for oh, almost 30 years, which is painful to say, um, <laughs> but 
Um, my mother was a nurse, and um, I watched my mother coach a very difficult patient through a very difficult situation and so admired her and um, just thought, I think that should be my destiny. Um, so started with an associate's degree, uh, worked in ERs, um, worked as um, supervisor, uh, kind of built up my career, ended up in uh, a leadership position. Along the way, got my master's in education and also dabbled nice. in some instructor, um, working for a local college and doing the um, clinical instructor. Um, it's been a fast journey um, and <laughs> a huge learning experience. That's great. 30 years. Right. You felt like you just started yesterday, right? Yeah, that's what it is yesterday. <laughs> is your, um, I dare to ask, is your mom still working? No, my, my mom has since passed, but. Um, oh, I'm sorry. True, okay. It's okay. True story. When um, my mother ended her nursing career, she was actually the supervisor of a local nursing home. And as she came to the end of her life, she needed long-term care. Um, and in a small town environment, the nurses don't move along much. They they tend to stay in the same positions that they're in. So when my mother entered the nursing home, the nurses that my mother had trained all those years ago were now in different mm -hmm. positions, a lot of which was leadership. Um, and they welcomed my mother with open arms and just uh. took such fabulous care with her. Still oh, brings tears great. to my eyes when I when I think about how, how they cared for her. Oh, that's great. Good. Good for her. I'm sorry for your loss. That's a, yeah, I'm glad she had a good, a good time with the nurses at the end. Um, okay. So, so let's um, get started talking about uh, the pandemic and, and life in the hospitals. Florence, I'm going to ask you first. So the pandemic started really in earnest uh, in March of 2020. So it's been almost two years that our world and our country and our healthcare system particularly have been dealing with this virus. Obviously, the first year was horrific, right, as so many Americans and people around the world died. So what, if anything, is different in January of 2022? Hmm. The difference is we now know the clinical progression and how the virus trends in specific patient populations. For this go-around, we have the appropriate PPE, we have some knowledge base, and there isn't the fear and unknown or uncertainty that we felt last year. Mm -hmm. um, we are also seeing more people mildly effective, which begs the question, why can't we just send people home on a few liters of oxygen to clear the hospital? Good question. Uh, Clara, how about you? What's different? In your um, so um, I agree with everything that Florence said. Um, I think the big difference that, that I'm seeing is the folks that are in the hospital, um, there's a large degree of denial. People do not believe that COVID exists. I don't know what their thought is as to what this virus is, but um, there is a big degree of denial. The other thing is um, we've, the public is not as kind to us. Um, the public is frustrated by, you know, the the closing of visiting uh, visitation, the not being able to come to see your loved one until, you know, you have a negative COVID test. Um, the good thing is is that the nurses are much more comfortable 
uh, with the virus and, and how to treat the virus. Um, but they're not comfortable at trying to explain to family the why and the how and to be sort of assertive and say, listen, you can't speak to me like this. You know, you have to accept our, our terms um, and and you have to understand that this is protection for our families, your families, our patients, and the entire facility. Right. Yeah. In some ways, it's it's much like the original days, although, you know, now we have more people walking around. Um, Clara, let's let's stick with you for this next question. So last year, in the height of what was then the original surge, we were reading stories about nurses being asked to take four ICU patients on a regular basis, yet the hospital's CEO worked from home for the entire pandemic, uh, and how there was no senior leadership that ever rounded on the floors. There was no PPE, much like uh, Florence had said. They felt like there was no concern for their well-being. What was it like uh, for you at your hospital? Um, senior leadership did not round. Um, the PPE, um, like most people, we were instructed that we had to reuse our mask. Um, and that was super scary. Um, you know, did, when you take your mask off, are, are you being exposed? Um, the, the sense that nurses were disposable. The nurses felt, because at the time, we were doing everything. It was the nursing staff that were going in the rooms. There was no housekeeping going in. There was no dietary going in. Even the um, consultants, the physician consultants were not going in the room. They were looking in through a window and calling into the room. So the nurses felt very isolated and disposable, that they were the only ones that were tasked with having to do all of the care. Um, so, you know, fortunately, that has not, you know, transitioned uh, into this episode. But but it was really hard, and it, it left a very big emotional scar on the nurses. Um, you know, they were asked to do things that on any normal day would have been done in ICU. And that that truly wasn't anybody's fault. That was because we had so many sick people and there was only so much you could do with the resources you have. If your ICU is full and everybody's intubated, then you're going to be taking care of a patient up on the floor that normally you would never even dream of taking care of. Um, right. So that, that really can't be blamed on anybody. Um, it, it, it was just a sad side effect of everything that happened. However, it, it does leave a lasting scar on the nurses who just felt like they weren't heard and that they were just left out in the wind, so to speak, and, and that they were exposable. I mean, I'm sorry, expendable is the word I wanted to use. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty deep scar. Um, so how about last fall? Well, how about this year? Well, last fall and now this year. Has anything changed um, in the hospital? Um, like the the support system has like you know the ancillary staff is back in the rooms and um, you know mm. the fear of PPE is no longer there we have PPE um, okay. although I will say the leadership does not round that that has not changed and that's always been you know the the, the excuse as well we want to save PPE it's like okay <laughs> I I get it I guess not sure um, but yeah no this time around and again you know like we've learned throughout the universe and, and all time with education and, and education with experience 
you know, becomes uh, uh, is knowledge, and and you figure out, okay, how do we best treat this patient? What do they need? Um, and what we've learned in a year is amazing and leaps and right. bounds. You know, right. we do. I think we do a much better job with these people. Oh yeah, from from even from our experience at Guardian Nurses, we know that the folks are they're well much better cared for because, like you said, we know more. Right? Thank God, mm-hmm. the science is is moving at a rapid speed. Um, Florence, how about uh, Clara's talked about her hospital both last year and this year. Tell me about your hospital. I think we had a very similar experience in our hospital. There appeared to be. Last year, there appeared to be minimal concern for the staff, and everything that was executed seemed to be done to quiet the staff. Um, Everything was rationed, and there were no exceptions. Staff were buying their own protection, but then needed to get it approved. And it was draining, and it was exhausting. There was no faith in our leadership and no trust at all. Oh, So has has anything changed? Yeah, this fall things have changed. Um, we have a PPE, PPE in the appropriate amount and level that we need for each level of patient care. Leadership, though, isn't compensating the bedside staff with hazard pay, but they have been more visible. We now have senior leadership staff working night shift. They're working odd hours to help battle the short staff, uh, short staffing and that's felt after hours. Okay. Staff see it, but they're exhausted and they're burned out and just want compensation for their job. We have a lot more staff out sick sick this go-round, too, than we did last year. And it's felt on the floors. Yeah, certainly, certainly in the in the Omicron variant, there's that's all we're hearing, right? That there's no staff. Um so what do you think, Florence, what what's the biggest difference in your job now from before COVID? Sure, the biggest difference I see is flow and patient movement. When every entity is short-staffed, like dietary, housekeeping, transport, nursing, CNAs, even physicians, everything just moves slower. Nurses are all taking about five to seven patients on the floors and three in ICU. There isn't enough staff to clean and move patients efficiently, so everything takes longer. Before COVID, our hospital would go on divert with five in the ER waiting room. And now we have 50 in that same waiting room. Yikes. Yeah, we're holding anywhere from 10 to 25 patients in the ER. They're waiting for inpatient beds. And everyone waiting is either COVID positive or suspected COVID positive. Right. And all the assignments, they're mixed, COVID and non-COVID, as opposed to last year where we tried to separate patients. Well, that's interesting. Um, Clara, how about you? How about in your, what's the biggest difference in your job now? Um, I, I, I feel like, I don't know that, that I'm not sure when I take care of the patients that, that really, other than having the adequate PPE and, and ancillary staff being on, on board, um, I guess the, the biggest thing, like she said, is the flow is the fact that if you have six patients that you're caring for, it's six patients that you have to do meds and full-time care and, you know, you don't have enough, you know, um, aids on the floor and you don't have enough um, support to do just the basic care, then then it's hard to imagine that you're going to be able to move any patients. Um, right. And um, I think it's it's uber frustrating for the nurses that, that they're still hearing 
um, you know, at the height of this, when when we know that movement is difficult, that that it's still the priority. Get them out. Get them out. Get them out. You know, got to keep up on the the um, uh, our times. You know, because we're we're scored on our times by you know Medicare and CMS, and you know just just keep things keep things moving. Um, and it's it's a messed up priority in my head. You know, you you try to get patients out. A lot of these patients, um, you know, come in and they need rehab. Well, then there's um, you know we have a big elderly population, right? You need rehab. Even some of these younger folks that need rehab. Well, rehabs need another COVID test. And if you're COVID positive, well, then it's harder to get into um, a facility because not all facilities are taking COVID patients. So, um, you know, there's a bottleneck coming in and there's a bottleneck going out. So I think it's, it's a little, it's, it's difficult for the nurses to wrap their brain around how much they're expected to do um, when part of what they need to do is blocked. Part of what they need to do, they, they can't do. And they're pressured. It's constant pressure. Why is it, why have they continued to, to maintain the times for CMS? I, I'm thinking this is not the time to be calculating your patient satisfaction scores or your time to discharge. Like, oh, sing it. I could not agree more. And yet we, we still focus on patient satisfaction. We still focus on what's our throughput time. We still focus on, on how uh, length of patients stay. Why? Why are we right. doing that? Why are we frustrating our staff and our nurses? And why are we allowing, and I agree that patient satisfaction is huge. I agree that patients need to be heard and they need to be, you know, felt like they're cared for. But a patient complaint because your trash can didn't get emptied and, you know, we're going to focus on that score of 66% instead of it being 71%, I just think it's ridiculous. And the nurses, the nurses couldn't care less about that score. And to keep harping on it just, just makes it worse. So. I'm sure. Has anybody asked if there's a nurse satisfaction questionnaire going around? <laughs> no, my friend, that does not get asked. <laughs> okay. okay. I think what you're, I think what you're seeing around pretty much uh, defines our satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just checking. Um, all right. So, so let me shift gears a little bit. So years ago when I worked uh, as an evening shift supervisor in, you know, a 200 bed hospital staffing, even then was always an issue. I always felt like I was, you know, buying, um, uh, making deals, uh, giving somebody off to take this shift. Um, I can't even imagine what the staffing office looks like these days. Um, are your hospitals using travel nurses? We've heard a lot about travel nurses. We've had some on the show. Um, are your hospitals using travel nurses to fill shifts? Florence? Well, let me just say, our hospital is losing senior and veteran staff. There is no hazard pay. So after 18 months, they're finally bonusing people for extra overtime shifts. But we have rarely used travel nurses, and I don't understand why. Staffing is awful. It's a bare minimum every shift. We use central staffing algorithms, which are awful, stressful, and unsafe ratios for what should truly be for patient safety. But I imagine most hospitals are dealing with the same struggles. How about you, Clara? Would you mirror Um, that? Yes. We are using traveler nurses (laughs) to fill shifts. 
However, that does bring its own set of problems because a traveler, nurse, traveling nurse, you really don't know what their experience base is. I could be a nurse for a year, and now I qualify as being able to work for a travel agency. Right. And these people get minimal orientation. Really, all they get is the mandatories and how to use the computer. And then they're set out on an assignment, which could be a six and seven patient assignment. And wow. now you're seeing, you know, increased med errors. You're just seeing... Um, not the quality care that you want to see. And, you know, part of it's not their fault, but the other nurses resent them because they're making, you know, almost double the wage. So I just question why senior leadership would not have considered um, maybe investing in the nurses that they have. If we're in a situation that we're using traveling nurses, it means that there's nurses that left. Once we went through this you know, really uh, the first year and we knew that, that there was a lull. We also knew there was going to be a surge again. Why did we not invest in the nurses that we had? Why did we not give them a retention bonus? Take all that money that we're, that we're offering for uh, sign-on bonuses and invest in the nurses that we have. You know, it takes at least, at least minimum of three months to onboard and get somebody into the door. And if you're lucky, They'll be ready to work the floor in the three months. Why are we not investing in the women and men who are orienting these people and and saying, listen, this is a great place to work. Why are we not investing in what we already have and maybe taking some, you know, extra money or, you know, allocating some funds for sign-on bonuses? I think that we did ourselves a huge disservice by not recognizing the nurses that stayed and that worked through it and not compensating. And I know people don't like, you know, to say compensation, but money talks. And, and you know, to give us, to give them an hourly rate that's worth what they go through, I don't think that that's, that's disrespectful to anybody's, you know, career or, or sense of, you know, self-worth. I think it doesn't diminish the art of nursing, in my opinion. Right. No, I, I listen, you're not going to get an argument from me. I, I think that there has been, you know, I've heard of other hospitals that have been paying for agency or for travel nursing, uh, you know, a lot of money every month. And I think, wow, why is that not going into the staff? Right. So I, I, I certainly agree with you. Um, so so let me ask you, t- talking about travel nursing, have either of you had colleagues leave? to take those travel nursing to those travel nursing positions florence yes we've lost at least 15% of our nursing staff to travel assignments wow and another 10% has gone to outpatient or ambulatory surgery or school nursing and honestly their peers can't blame them i can't blame them mm-hmm. my coworker recently made $70,000 in 3 months oh. travel oh. nursing oh my god Wow. Exactly. The problem is it doesn't pay. It doesn't pay to be a bedside nurse. You will get awful patient ratios everywhere. Why not get compensated for it? Take a 12-week assignment and then a month off. But as a bedside nurse, you're only looking at a 2 to 3% raise every year. If that, take the travel job, get the experience, and get compensated. There will always be bedside jobs. Our nursing administration really has done nothing about it, absolutely nothing to retain staff. And now we have all new nurses working on the floors, brand new nurses. 
Clara, it sounds, it sounds uh, like what you just talked about. So have you lost uh, folks to travel positions? Yes, a, a yeah. multitude. And these were solid nurses um, that came to us as novice nurses that, that we raised, um, and they were good nurses. They're still great nurses. They're still good nurses. But instead of investing in them and, and showing them some kind of love, and I have to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think that, that it would have been, it's not like you need to double their pay. You know what I mean? But you need to show them some kind of love um, every six months or, or something in order to keep the staff that you have. You know, the increase in errors and, and uh, hospital-acquired, um, you know, um, not infections, but hospital-acquired, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, hospital-acquired events for lack of pressure ulcers and falls, you know, you're just going to see that increase because, you know, you're, you don't have dependable staff. You don't have in, staff that's vested into the floor or into the hospital community, you know, it's, it's, that feels like a thing of the past. God, that's sad to hear. That really is sad to hear. What, what about, um, what about nurses who have you worked with rather, or have they left or that, you know, maybe they were nearing retirement uh, and they've just said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Have any of your colleagues yes. left? Yeah. Yes. I've, I've known uh, at least five or six folks that have just said, you know what, I'm done. I would rather retire than mm-hmm. continue to watch, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. on the note of staffing and nurses that are retired, the other phenomenon that I've seen is not retired nurses, but nurses have, that have decided to do different things in their career. So before uh, COVID hit, you know, we nurses, we just have this unique opportunity to be able to just branch out to a whole bunch of different types of nursing. So there's, right. you know, um, patient safety, there's um, regulatory, there's supervisor, there's education, there's infection control. There's just so many, there's IT, there's so many things that a nurse can do. So right. when you've gotten your experience as a nurse and, and you're tired of the bedside, because that does happen. To be honest, the bedside's a young nurse's uh, yep, field. Definitely. But you yep. want to do something different, you know? Um, well, what they're doing now is pulling these nurses back and saying, okay, listen, we'll pay you so much money an hour if you can come to the floor and work as a technical partner, um, mm. you know, work as an aide, work... <laughs> You know, not Uh-oh. truly as a nurse, but, you know, to help out on the floor, which, you know, seems like a great idea. Um, but again, it's sort of a misappropriation of, of the staff that you have, right? Because now who's doing their job? Right. Who's That's manding, what I was going to ask. Right. Who's going to do their job? Minding those. Nobody. Nobody. And if you start having, you know, if you, you aren't looking at your patient safety and your regulatory, then, you know, all of those markers that you're so desperate to watch fall through the cracks because people can't watch it. So it's just, you know, we just keep trying to say, oh, we want to go back to normal, get back to normal, get back to normal. There is no normal. There is no normal anymore. It's new. It needs to evolve and we need to change our thinking. Yeah, there is uh, that they're too worried about the patient satisfaction scores. (laughs) They're focusing on that. Um, Florence, how about you? Have you had any colleagues leave nursing or retire? Oh, yeah. Many of our nurses um, 
as I previously said, they left and went to other other places, uh, surgical centers, outpatient centers. Okay. But some have left to pursue raising their children at home. Uh, my aunt has been a nurse for 35 years. That's longer than I've been alive. And they pulled her <laughs> in the ER with her experience. She had been an outpatient surgery nurse. And she said she just can't do it. Wow. Um, she's, they wow. just threw her into the mix without a vote. They didn't give her a choice. She left nursing finally at 16. She won't be returning. Oh, God, that is so sad. They yeah, put her in the tragic. ER? Wow. She'd yeah, been outpatient surgery been and they put outpatient. her in the ER. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that 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 is scary. I mean, to all the points that Clara has said in terms of patient safety and, you know, kind of rookies coming in without any experience in the hospital. But to go from the outpatient surgery to the ER could be a mm-hmm. scary time. And she was only 60. Well, you know, with still some good years left in her. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. All right. So I know we've all been talking and thinking and hearing about mental health, but um, let's be honest that this pandemic has taken a toll on mental health for a lot of people, but particularly nurses and other healthcare workers. And um, I looked up that the American Nurses Foundation has surveyed over 9,500 nurses last fall, so 2021. Uh, and more than two-thirds reported stress, frustration, and exhaustion within the previous two weeks. And about one-third reported having sought professional mental health support since the pandemic began. Um, and I bet if another survey is done now, I suspect the results may be greater. So um, tell me about, you know, what your experience has been, Florence, with um, just mental health with your colleagues and peers. Sure. Everyone's burned out, depressed, or they're exhausted, and mentally drained. There, there's a huge surge of psychiatric patients hanging out in the ER and on the floors, waiting for inpatient psych beds for weeks. These are 11 to 99-year-olds. Okay. Healthcare professionals really need some support. I don't think anyone is looking out for them. The CDC and the ANA, they keep dropping the bar. For example, don't wait to gown, mask if you're COVID patient codes. <laughs> I mean, everything seems to be at a healthcare worker's expense. We're, we're being dragged through the mud and feeling expendable. And hospitals and medical facilities still won't admit that they can't function without nurses. You can't run a hospital without nurses. You can't. We are vital. And until that's understood, the problem's going to continue. Nurses will take as much as they can, but then they're going to leave and they'll be gone forever. Um, Clara, do you agree? I mean, how's your, how's your um, colleagues? I do. I, you know, a hundred percent agree. And, you know, from personal experience, um, there was a a period in my life where it was eight months that I couldn't see my kids or my grandkids. Um, And for me, that's my lifeline. That's, that's what I live for is my family. Um, you know, my poor husband, um, I think, um, you know, he's a saint for what he put up with, because when I came home, I was so tired and so frustrated and so angry, and I, I couldn't really release it uh, properly. And how it came out was pretty much just being kind of mean and bitchy to him. Um, you know, I did eventually reach out and, and talk to somebody, um, but the 
post-traumatic stress effect, it's real. That feeling that you're expendable and, and that nobody's listening and that, that the community that you're caring for, although they say thank, thank you, they have no idea. Nobody knows what's, what's going on in those hospitals. There's no media coverage. You hear media coverage about your supply line. Maybe your toilet paper is going to be late. But you don't hear how hospitals are imploding. You don't hear anybody talking about the effect that, that is, is happening to the nurses under all of this stress and, and the constant, constant pressure of making sure that we keep people alive or we transition them, you know, to the end of their life. It's, it's kind of terrible. Clara, why, why do you think that there's no coverage of that? What's your thoughts on I that? I don't, I, I have no idea. I, I honestly don't know. Where, where's our true nursing leadership? Where's the, the American Nurses Association? Where's the critical care nurses? Where's the, you know, uh, ENA? I, where is everybody? Where, I don't understand. I don't understand. And it's frustrating, and it makes me sad. It makes me sad. Yeah, I, it makes me sad, but I can also hear your frustration. Um, Florence, let me let me ask you um, uh, about the – Clara talked about how that impacted her home life, working through the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? That her, she wasn't able to see her children or grandchildren, and her – you know, she was mm-hmm. taking out her husband. How, how has the pandemic impacted your home life? Well, it's hard. It feels like the world is shut down. I think people are afraid to go anywhere or do anything. And, you know, social interaction is frowned upon um, or people end up with COVID. Um, I have young children who can't be vaccinated yet, and I can't afford to get sick. If I'm out, who's going to work and take care of them? And it just feels like there's nothing to look forward to anymore. So my my husband and I plan little special activities and parties and look forward to little things like game night, pizza, Fridays. And and we do try to go outside as often as we can. But it's tough. Yeah, it sounds like it. So so I'm going to circle this to you, um, Clara. Uh, how are you coping now? Um, who's taking care of you? Um, well, my family's back around me. So, and like I said, that that's all I need. Um, the fact that I can see them and, and yeah, we, we don't get to do as much as, as we used to do, but we still can get together, um, you know, do dinners, birthday parties. Um, and really, I don't have huge needs in my life. That was it just to make sure that I can see my kids and my grandkids. Um, and again, I have an uber supportive husband um, who, for whatever reason, honestly loves me and makes it his job to take care of me. <laughs> Come on, Claire. <laughs> you have no idea how tough that is. <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot easier than you're, you're making out. Um, how about you, Florence? What, who's taking care of you? Uh, well, I think my coworkers help me through um, because they're doing it too, and misery loves company. But <laughs> it's sad. It's really sad. I work out a lot, um, okay. 
and and vent with my coworkers and find dark humor in the truths we see and I cry a lot. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I I'm sure the dark humor is even darker now. <laughs> right? The nursing humor is pretty yeah, dark certainly. anyway. Um mm-hmm. All right, so so I um I believe that much to you you were echoing this. I believe that more than boxes of donuts and takeout pizza, right? Nurses need respect from patients, from managers, particularly hospital administration, relief from the massive pandemic, patient overload and understaffing, right? Mental health support on site uh, and all the support that the government and private sector can muster. But that's what I believe. What would you like to see if you could wave a magic wand and do one thing at your hospital, what would it be, Florence? Oh, wow. I need more staff, and I need my staff to be compensated. They're all working overtime with with really no end in sight. They're tired, and they're exhausted. They're burned out. We need help. That's what I would ask for. We need the public to see that it's not a joke, and it's real. And... Yeah, the same people, these same people, they're working overtime, and then they call out for their regularly scheduled shifts because their bodies are giving out. This time around, we're seeing four times as many staff in our ER than last year because we're burned out for more staff. That's what I would ask for. Okay. How about you, Clara? One one magic wand. Magic wand. It's going to be the same that the staff is is compensated and and that they feel respected and that we we focus our attention on what it needs to be focused on i don't i don't want to hear that that your patient satisfaction score isn't where it needs to be i don't want to hear about throughput time i want to hear i want to hear you saying to the nurses this is what we're going to do for you you had a really rough shift okay, we're going to figure out a way. We'll get you a shift off. We'll compensate you extra. We'll give you hazard pay. It's time that you stop minimizing the nurse and their role and and their impact on the entirety of healthcare. And I am not saying that nurses do it alone. That is in no way, shape, or form what I'm saying. But without nurses, there's nothing. There's nobody to care for your patients. There's nobody to care for anything. So, um, yes, it's, it has to be all about the nurse. We just have to focus on what's okay. important, what's truly important. Okay. I hear you. Um, nurses are the backbone of the healthcare system. Um, okay. So uh, in closing, my final question to you both is, what would you like to tell our listeners who might need to go to a hospital during this Omicron surge, or even afterward? Florence, let's start with you. Well, despite what the news says, there is a nursing shortage, and there is a staffing shortage in every department. Please stay home if you are not truly ill. You will wait 18 hours if your complaint is minor. You will be seen in the ER and treated in the waiting room. We are doing waiting room medicine. 
We have truly sick people here, so stay home. Call your PCP and utilize telemedicine and urgent care if it's not an emergency. Please do not schedule elective surgeries because if something goes wrong, there's no bed for you. Our ICUs are full. Our hospital floors are full. Our ERs are full. And ambulances are bringing in patients who are sick and sicker. Just stay home. Wow. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Florence. Uh, Clara, how about you? What would you like to tell our listeners? I just while she was saying that, my heart is singing. Sing it, sister. Yes. Stay <laughs> home. Stay home. You know, she's 100% right. Um, there is no need if you feel a sniffle or a sore throat to come running to the ER. Even if you have the corona, the COVID virus, we're going to send you home anyway. Stop clogging up the ERs with, with needless visits. Stay home. Okay. On that note, wow. Uh, gosh, lady, I am so sorry that you've been through so much um, these last year and a half. I, I can feel, uh, I can feel the frustration and the passion that you both have um, for nursing, for, for yourself and your career, but also for your colleagues uh, and for your patients. This has been um, kind of eye-opening and sad at the same time. So thank you for, for hanging in there and uh, for still doing what you're doing. So one last word, um, which may dub me as crazy, um, but I <laughs> just want all of you to know, I still love being a nurse. I still love that I will tell somebody that I'm a nurse. You will never hear me say just a nurse. I am a nurse, forever a nurse. I love that. That's a great way to end it, Clara. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Beautiful. You showed up Florence Nightingale. I'm, I don't know. There's fighting words there. <laughs> we make such a good team. Right. Right. Thank you both uh, for joining, uh, for joining me on the podcast. And uh, perhaps we can have you back when things get a little better. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Betty. Thanks for having me. Clara and Florence, again, not their real names have clearly had a very difficult two years. But as our guests said, this nursing shortage is not new. The sea level was rising even before the COVID pandemic, and now the crisis is here. It is way past time to come up with creative ideas that will help not just the short-term fix, but the long-term fix as well. Because this isn't going away anytime soon. It's going to take all of the Claras and the Florences and the CEOs, and the chief nursing officers, and the chief financial officers, maybe even some elected officials, to be part of the solution. There is too much at stake to do nothing. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, 
guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.